So we are continuing in Genesis chapter 19. We'll try to finish Genesis chapter 19 today. And last week, we read about Lot and his two daughters. And we read something about his two daughters that, that they, they certainly didn't act like that they, they were unknowing women. And um, now we're going to look particularly at Lot in the midst of this. So let's start reading again from verse 30 of Genesis chapter 19. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. And he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and, he, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that he may preserve that lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in, lay with her father, and did not know when she lay down or when she arose. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, "Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go and lie with him." that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made the father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of Moabites to this day. The younger as for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. So we talked, like I said, we talked last time about the two, the two daughters and their behavior. And we talked about, we also mentioned how these two sons that were born turned out to be enemies of Israel to this day. We're talking about 4,000 years, enemies of Israel to this day. And uh, uh, we know where Moab is, and actually Moab is, and, uh, where, where Moab is and Ben-Ami, that is northern and central Jordan to this day. So we saw the effects of this, but let's look more closely at Lot. Now, first of all, let me say that the New Testament, twice in, in 1 Peter, it calls... It calls um, I'm sorry, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, it calls Lot a righteous man twice. And once it says that he had a righteous soul. What we find in the scriptures are the scriptures are exceedingly gracious toward people that show a regard for God. If people show a regard for God, the scriptures are very gracious in speaking about them. If people show a disregard about God, the scriptures are not gracious at all. Pulls no punches and really, really says it like it is. And that's the pattern that you find in the scriptures. Now, Lot had a heart for God, but he had some real problems too. We've seen before that when, when their herdsmen, he became very wealthy and his herdsmen were, were arguing with, with Abraham's herd, herdsmen. Abraham took the upper ground and he said, look, you take the area that you want, I'll take the area that, that's for me, and you go your way and I'll go my way. And he looked 
Lot looked out and he took the best land for himself, the Jordan Valley, very plush. He took that for himself. He ended up camping outside the city of Sodom, and then he ended up moving into the city of Sodom, and then he ended up becoming a a leader in the city of Sodom. And he had these sorts of problems, but let's look a little bit more deeply. Um, let me let me just tell you a story. So so um, when when I was 16 was the first time. So I got saved at the age of 18. At the age of 18, uh, I got saved. When when I was young, the drinking age was 18, not 21 as it is now. And if you looked 15 or 16 years old, you could get into a bar, no problem. I mean, they were glad to have the business. And you say, well, didn't they check your ID? Hardly ever. I think, I, well, I didn't go to a, a lot to bars, but, but I remember once, you know, they were, you, you know, there was a guy standing there. You just pull out your license. You say, oh, okay, okay, okay. And there was none of this angle thing, different angles, different views for different licenses of different ages. It had nothing to do with that. And so the first time I ever got drunk was I was 16 years old. Now, I don't know if you remember the first time you ever got drunk or if you ever got drunk, and I felt miserable. When I went to bed, the whole bed was spinning, spinning, and I was vomiting all night. It's not a good feeling. And, uh, um, and, and I remember that y- you end up, when you're drunk, putting your face in a place where it was never meant to be, and that's right in the, in the, in the opening of a toilet. And you spend, you spend much of the evening at that place, and you're very thankful for, for that place. Uh, and and uh, it's a difficult time. And that's not the craziest thing that I had done. The craziest thing that I had done is that about a year later, I got drunk a second time, and never after that did I get drunk again. That first time, I had such a headache the next morning. I felt miserable all day. Has anyone else ever been there? Am, am I alone in this? Has anyone else ever experienced this? Anybody? Yeah, I mean, especially your first time. It's just miserable. I mean, just terrible. The last thing you want to do in the morning, you have this headache, is start drinking again. That's the last thing. You just feel so sick and so miserable all day. The second time I got drunk, maybe a year later, the same thing happened again. And I was like, I'm never going to do this again. And I never did. And in fact, when I was 20 or 19 or 20, I, I, I stopped drinking altogether. Now, I'm not pushing that on anybody because the scriptures themselves don't push that on anyone. So far be it from me that I should ever do that. I'm saying as a personal thing that I chose not to drink. And the reason I, I chose not to is that, that I, my wife came from a family that never drinks alcohol. And if, I would, if somebody would just hand me a beer, I would never get drunk after that, those first couple times when I was a teenager. But, but uh, I would have a beer, and I noticed it bothered her. So in other words, not to bother her, I just gave it up totally because it wasn't a big thing for me. But the Bible talks about how if food offends your brother, then don't eat that kind of food in front of your brother. Well, here I'm going to be marrying this young lady, and if drinking bothers her, I just give up drinking. And, and so, so we have that kind of mutual respect for each other. She's done all sorts of things for me. So, so, um, uh, but, but that's just the way I am. But I felt miserable. There's something very strange in this portion. 
These two young girls say, let's get our father, let's get him to drink, and he won't know what's going on. Well, how do they know that he won't know what's going on? Unless he had been like that many times before. You have to be really drunk. I mean, really seriously drunk to not know that your daughter is coming into the bed with you. I mean, that is some serious drunkenness. Now, I have known alcoholics who will get drunk and then they don't even remember what they've done. I have a good friend who walked up to a policeman and cursed the policeman out when he was, he was drunk. And the policeman looked at him. He says, sir, do you know what you just said to me? He says, no. He didn't know what he even said to this policeman. The policeman had him sit down and got him to call his wife. And his wife took him home. It was a very nice act on the policeman's part. He could have done much worse to him. But it was from that experience that he realized that, hey, he's an alcoholic. And he went through the 12-step program and, and, and broke him of that. This man responds as if he's an alcoholic, meaning that they knew they, they could get him so drunk he wouldn't even remember. And it says the next morning he didn't even remember. He didn't even remember. This is not normal. As drunk as I was that first time, oh, I would remember this sort of thing. I remember that night. I remember going to bed and feeling miserable. I remember the bed spinning around. And, uh, uh, and I remember the second time. But you have to have had a pattern of drinking to let people know that you could go through this and you wouldn't even remember. And then, after being so drunk that you don't even remember, the next day to get drunk all over again. I mean, usually you've got a splitting headache. If you're not a drinker all the time, you have such a splitting headache that the last thing you want to do the next day is pick up another drink. That's why I say this is a very strange occurrence. Remember we looked at the things that were odd about the two young women last week? Now there's something odd about, about Lot. Just his behavior appears as if he's an alcoholic. I remember I had a friend in college, a very good friend. Um, and and uh, uh, we, we, we were actually quite close, but he had a real drinking problem. And, uh, and again, remember the, the drinking age back then was 18. So there were beers all over the dormitories. I mean, it's just all over. Because this was, this was all a, a permissible age. And I remember him, after he'd get so drunk, the next morning I would go to his room, which was just a couple doors down the hall, and he'd be taking another drink the next morning. And I said, Gordon, what are you doing? Don't you have a hangover from last night? And he said, Jim, you got to fight fire with fire. <laughs> and then I went over his house. He lived about three, three hours away from the university. And one day he took me to his home and I met his two parents. And they were both alcoholics because they got very drunk in the evening and they were saying all sorts of things that they shouldn't say. They were embarrassing him immensely in front of me. And then the next morning, his two parents started drinking again. And so then I realized the pattern of, because I didn't grow up in a home where there were alcoholics. I realized what goes on that the next day they start drinking all over again. They don't have that, you know, beginner's splitting headache that makes you stop doing this the next day. That's the type of pattern you see here. 
Well, you say, well, the New Testament called him a righteous man. Remember I said, if you have a heart for God, God is very gracious in the way the Bible reports of you. But what's interesting here is in verse 38, it says of, 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 uh, of Genesis chapter 19, and as for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. He brought troubles into his family that was going to carry on generation after generation. But what's interesting is you never hear another word in the scriptures about Lot until you get, until you, it might make reference to the sons of Lot, but you never hear them reporting anything about Lot's life. Anything what happens, boom, the curtain just closes right here. The curtain on Lot's life as it's being reported in the book of Genesis, closes right here. You don't hear anything about Lot again. Maybe he did many righteous acts. Something, we hear nothing. Well, is there anything else like this? Well, if you turn, if you turn back to Genesis, Genesis chapter um, 9, Genesis chapter 9, this is after the flood. We read about Noah. And Noah had an experience in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. Then Noah began farming and planting a vi- planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew that his youngest son, what his youngest son had done to him. And and actually, this is younger son. So he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Now Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. So what happened was one of his sons, Ham, saw him and did something with Ham's son, Canaan. And Canaan did something really bad. We're not told what Canaan did. But Noah ends up cursing Canaan. What's interesting is Noah is an extremely righteous man. Noah is spoken about in the Old Testament as being one of the three most righteous people. Uh, Noah, Job, and Daniel are spoken about in the book of Ezekiel as being really righteous men. The Hebrews chapter 11 speaks glowingly of Noah. Jesus spoke of Noah. But what's interesting is that when Noah had this experience where he got drunk. Now, what Noah did was much less bad than what Lot did. Noah got naked in his own tent. Generally, if somebody gets naked in their own house, I mean, that's their business. You leave them, that's, I mean, nobody asks any questions. That's up to them. You know, it's not, it's not like on the Rice campus where they get naked and run around, you know, on a Friday night, do that type of thing. I mean, this was, this was a lot more, more innocuous, a lot more, more, more civil than what happens on the campuses today. But, but, um, uh, so this was in his own tent, but still it was an embarrassing thing. 
What's interesting here is in this passage, in Genesis chapter 9, after this experience, what happens? Boom, the curtains close on Noah. We never hear anything again about the life of Noah. His life ends. That's it. The curtains closed on Noah's life when Noah started drinking alcohol and abusing that. The curtains closed on Lot's life when he started, when we see that there was an abuse with this substance. It's interesting that, that I, people write to me and they tell me what I ought to do. All right? Just out of the blue on the internet, people write to me and tell me what I ought to do. And the, the things they normally tell me that I ought, what I ought to do is they tell me what I should teach people about. In other words, they feel that I have a forum where people listen to me. Therefore, I should be teaching A, B, and C. One of the things that, is, that people often tell me that I should talk about, and this is from really hurting parents. This is from parents that have lost children to drug abuse. And they tell me that I should teach about the opioid epidemic. I should teach about cannabis and what that does to the brain. And I should teach about all these sorts of things. And, and I very respectfully tell them, you know, I'm sorry what happened to your children. I'm sorry what your children are going through. And, and, uh, and you know, I say that I, it has to be in the right context. Well, here we are in the scriptures. And here we see a guy Lot where he is apparently struggling with something and everything closes up on his life. Now, there were some really bad guys that had drinking problems. So, so for example, there was a guy, Nabal, and he got drunk one night and the next day, you know, God struck him dead, but he was an evil guy. There was a guy, Belshazzar, and he was the great-grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and he had some drunken party, and that very night the, the Persians came in and killed him after the prophecy of Daniel said that that's what would happen. And, and we see uh, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who apparently were drinking when they offered up strange fire and they got killed by the Lord. So there were some evil people that got drunk and they were always just, boom, summarily dealt with. This is righteous people. This is good people. What happened to them? And they said, well, Lord, do you give us warnings about this? So let, let's turn, to, um, to, let's turn to, to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. And we're going to start reading from verse 29. Proverbs 23. Reading from verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. There are warnings in the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Now, this is not just alcohol. This is all we see in the scriptures is this alcohol. But anything that causes us to lower our inhibitions 
In other words, God puts within us a certain measure of things that we will allow ourselves to do and allow ourselves to say. The only instruction that I give my students, and I mean at the university students, about alcohol is, I say, I beg you, when you go out on a job interview, do not drink at dinner. Nothing is off the record on a job interview. There are many times where we have interviewed professors for positions at the university. And then what kills it is things that they started saying over dinner. Things that they started saying off the campus. And what happens is if you've had a couple of drinks, you start saying things that you wouldn't normally say. Now, it may be truly the way you feel, but you shouldn't be saying it. And, and I have seen this numerous times. I mean, one guy started talking, he had a few drinks, he started talking about the good qualities of Adolf Hitler. I mean, and people were like, you know, so, so what happens is you, you lower your inhibitions and, and the true you starts coming out. And it shouldn't. You don't want the true you to come out. You don't. I mean, because there's so much vileness in us and there's so much things that we mutter and spit and curse about to ourselves. We don't want that plastered across our foreheads. Don't do things that lower your inhibitions when you're on a job interview. And I tell young men when they come to me for instruction, I say, okay, when, when, you're, when, when your work has Christmas parties, don't drink. Everybody else will be drinking. And they will say very embarrassing things. Don't drink. Let the others drink. And this guy came to me a couple years after I had given him this instruction. He said, you know, we were at this Christmas party. Everybody was drinking. And my bosses came up to me after the party and they said, we noticed you didn't drink. We really respect you for that. Don't lower your inhibitions. There are things and substances that do this. So you will say, well, alcohol is legal. It is legal. You can certainly drink. I'm not telling you not to drink. There are places where you should drink and places where you shouldn't drink. And you don't want to overdo it. And it is easy to be overcome. I've had friends that have become alcoholics and their lives get destroyed. Look what the scriptures say. Who has woe in verse 29 of Proverbs 23? Who has woe? Who here wants woe? Woe means pain in my life. Who has pain in their life? Does anybody here, would anybody like to have a lot of pain in their life? Nobody's raising their hand. Okay? It tells you that if you start doing things that are going to cause you to lay down your inhibitions, you're going to have problems in life. Who has sorrow? Nobody wants to say, boy, I hope I have a really sorrowful day. I hope I'm just broken today. Nobody says that. Who has contentions, meaning that arguments? Well, this is people who, are, who drink a lot, have arguments. You'll have a lot more arguments. Who has complaining? I mean, I hate people who complain when they work for me. If they work in a lab and they start complaining, I'm like, don't even come to my office. I don't. Yeah, yeah, your, your, your project is impossible. You're right. Your project is impossible. Just go somewhere else and complain about it. I mean, it's just, just don't come to me complaining all the time. I don't want people dragging their lunchbox behind them, standing by the water cooler and complaining all day. I want them to go somewhere else. Go work for somebody else. It says, who has complaining? 
Who has wounds without cause? Wounds without cause. You speak to a person who gets drunk a lot. You speak to a person who gets high, high a lot. They get in fights. They get in fights and they got wounds like, my eye is already, I don't know what happened. Must have bumped into something. No, God punched you in the eye last night. They don't even remember. That's why it says in verse 35, they struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. That's what happens. He says, he says that, that when this starts, thing starts taking hold of your life, when you look at it in the cup and it sparkles and it's smooth and you start putting this undue interest in it, he says, just remember in the end in verse 32, it bites like a serpent, it stings like a viper. It bites and it stings. Now, there is a, there are a lot of places in the U.S. now where cannabis, where the smoking of marijuana is become legal. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it right. I'll tell you, I, I have, I grew up in the 1960s and 70s. I knew a lot of potheads. I mean, they were smoking pot. I saw them in college. I mean, you could, you could tell the rooms where it was being smoked. All the time. And those guys would, would be, they're just totally spaced out. You look at them now, decades later, their minds are gone, gone. I'm telling you, you say, well, it's legal, so it's okay. You watch what's going to happen. We are going to have a generation of young people that are just, their brains are not going to work right. When you are continually subjecting your brains to these sorts of chemicals. Now, I know you're really smart. You know a lot about chemicals. I don't. What would I know about chemical interaction with, with, with a biological system? What would I know? What would I know about chemicals interacting with neurons? What would I know? What would I know about the long-term effects? You know it, and your politicians know it. I don't know anything about this, right? There's a woman who, who, uh, who I've always thought was kind of goofy. And, and uh, she's like, like my age, my, my age and my wife's age, and, and I've always thought she was kind of goofy. And um, uh, just her mind wasn't all there. And so she was just sharing with Shireen not too long ago how she was just taking all sorts of substances when she was a college student, and she was admitting. She says, my brain is fried. She says, I can't follow an argument. I can't follow a logical thing. She says, it's not just me. It's all the other young people that I was doing it with were all like this. And I just thought she was just kind of goofy. I just thought that, you know, she, something was lost, and something had been lost. I see the effects of this over the long term. I see what happens to people's lives and the destruction that happens. This is why the scriptures warn us. Now, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. No way. Lot was considered a righteous man. But the curtains closed on his usefulness after that point. That was it. It closed up. Even righteous Noah we hear nothing else on this. It's, 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 all, it's all gone. We hear nothing else about this. You know, the, the Bible has really good things for us. If you look in, in Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it's just like a, a, a father pleading with his son. Pleading with his son. I've told my sons, I've said, you know, don't do this stuff. Don't do it. And I try to teach them. As a father, because I love my sons, the last thing I want to do is to see their lives destroyed. 
Listen to this father speaking to his son in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. If you keep these commandments the scriptures are telling us, you're going to have peace in your life. You want to have trouble? You want to have woe? You want to have sorrow? Look at the people that smoke a lot of cannabis. I mean, they're just, we always called them potheads. And you knew who they were. Because they were like, oh, it's okay, man. And they, they were always, it was, they were all the same. Everything is okay. I mean, don't worry about that. Oh, we got a test. Oh, no. I forgot about that. I mean, it was always the same behavior out of them. This is a generation of people we have going. You know, it was interesting that remember what happened in, in Genesis chapter 19. Two men come into the home. They're angels into Lot's home. A group of men from all over the city, the entire city comes around Lot's home. And what do they say? They say they wanted to have homosexual sex with the two visitors in this home. The men surrounded And you're like, how could a culture get so evil? But here is Lot saying, don't do this evil thing. I have two daughters. You can have them. As if heterosexual gang rape is okay. You see how far the culture had come just because the culture of the city of Sodom said that homosexual gang rape is okay doesn't make it okay. Just because a culture says something is okay doesn't make it okay in God's eyes. Lot had been so influenced by his city that he would offer up his two daughters to be gang raped to prevent homosexual rape from going on as if gang rape is okay. And his two daughters got him back. They got him back. They, he disrespected them. They disrespected him. Just because a culture says something is okay doesn't make it okay. The Word of God is our guide. Look at the Word of God pleading to us, My son! You know, this is the most endearing way that I address my, my, my sons. See, my son, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Length of days, years of life, and peace they will add to you. This is the Bible just calling us. Obey me, my son, my daughter, obey me. This is going to give you peace in life. As Paul wrote, he says, the things that you've seen and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice the things that we've seen that are good and right. And I'm not calling you to something that has no power. Some people will say, you, you know, if you're really addicted to something, if you're really struggling with something, you, you got to, yes, you, you can seek all sorts of help. But don't forsake the Lord and what He has for you. And let, let's, we're going to close with this portion in Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says in Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. This is the call of the gospel. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Do you have a struggle? Do you have a care? Do you have something where somebody is struggling with something? And you say, well, you know, they got to see psychologists. They got to do this. They got to go into this help programs. All of those are great. But do not forsake the Lord. He has so much for you. You know, I see young people struggling with certain things. And they say, you know, I've, I've tried 10 psychiatrists. I've done this. I'm like, what about Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay. No, I mean, what about doing what the scriptures say? It is not merely coming into relationship with Christ by confessing that, that he is Lord and that he's risen from the dead. It is not just that. It is the entire composite of what the scriptures teach us. For example, we are taught, do not neglect, in, in Hebrews chap, chapter uh, um, 1025, do not neglect the fellowship of the saints as is the habit of some. Do not neglect the fellowship of the saints as is the habit of some. In other words, part of getting right in Christ is having the fellowship of the body of Christ. Having that fellowship. Knowing people who are other believers and Christians and having fellowship with them, you will not stand as a faithful believer walking on your own. You will not. And then when you get a family, you think your family will stand on its own just, just on the Bible. It will not. You need the, the body of Christ around you. The whole thing of the body of Christ, you don't neglect the fellowship of the saints. The whole thing of submission. It says, it says, uh, um, Man is the head of woman. God is the, Christ is the head of man. And God is the head of Christ. That's what the Bible says. It's not an abuse of power. Does, does the Father abuse Jesus? No, it's not an abuse of power. It's understanding leadership. It's understanding leadership in the church. It says, young men, submit yourself to the, your elders. In the church, young men, submit yourself to your elders. Why would it say that? Just to... Bore you? I don't have to submit to anybody. No, you don't. You don't. Go ahead. Go live your life the way you want. You've got it all figured out. No, it says submit to them because they've got good counsel for you. They have good counsel for you. They will instruct you in the right way. That's what the body of Christ is about. This is the composite I'm talking about. It's not just, yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord. It's not just that. That's an important first step. His resurrection from the dead, that's an important step. But it doesn't stop there. When you come into the body of Christ, there is so much power. There is power over addiction in the body of Christ. When you're in the body of Christ, people say, you know, I don't have a job. I say, if you learn to serve in the church, you'll get a job. I did prison ministry, maximum security prison. For 10 years, I was every Monday night in a maximum security prison. And I'd, I'd go through the yard, either, either I'd do an open air thing on the yard, or I'd go into a particular unit and teach in a particular Bible study, on an evening Bible study, same Bible study for 10 years, same place, in the unit. And, and uh, uh, guys would come out and they say, I need a job. I say, look, I got no jobs that I can hire you into, but I can tell you how to get a job. You come to church and you become a part of that church and you start serving in that church. You pick up chairs, you clean up, you do things. Somebody's going to see you 
and they're going to hire you. They're going to think, I need someone like that who's faithful like that in my business. In the body of Christ, there are jobs. This is what I tell people. You can't find a job. You start serving in the body of Christ. That means you serve without pay. Without pay? I'm not doing that. Well, good for you. Don't do it. You go, you go get paid somewhere where somebody would pay you. But if you're going to learn to serve, it starts without pay and it continues without pay. You continue to serve in the body of Christ. You continue to serve. Do I get paid for this? No. I don't get paid for this. You can cut my salary in half. I don't care. I'm not going to do anything to me. All right? I want to serve in the body of Christ. I realize the blessing that it calls down upon me and in my family. And I don't need a job. You need a job, you learn to serve in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, you're an engineer. There's a lot of guys in this church who run engineering firms. And they'll see somebody who's faithful. They'll say, you're an engineer? I need somebody who's an engineer. You... You're a maintenance guy. I need maintenance people. It comes through the composite of serving. This is part of being broken from addictions. It's being part of the body of Christ where you get another brother or another sister to stand alongside you to overcome these things. It's not standing on this on your own. You can't stand in this your own. Go ahead. Go to all these help programs. That's fine. But learn to become part of the body of Christ and see that it's a real thing. You have depression. Do you suffer with depression? Learn to become part of the body of Christ where you give of yourself. I'll tell you, the best thing that I have ever seen to overcome depression is to serve others. And you stop looking at yourself like, who's going to do something for me? How often was Mother Teresa on the psychiatrist's couch saying, when is someone going to do something for me? I've been helping these people in Calcutta for 50 years. When's my time? No, when you're giving out, you stop thinking about yourself all the time. And it changes your whole perspective. That is the best way to overcome in, in, in this depression, is to learn to serve others. You don't have time to think about yourself. It's the body of Christ. You see, God's got this all figured out. He's got it all figured out. Jesus says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. That means take the burdens of Jesus on you. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is the best. He is the best. Jesus is the best. He says, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Is your soul troubled? Come to Jesus. You will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, you come to me. You carry the things that concern me. Your life is going to go so much better. That's what Jesus said. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. For the truth that in Jesus Christ is embodied everything that we need. Father, I pray for these young people. That you would keep them free from addictions. That you would keep them free from things that would lower their inhibitions. Father, protect them, I pray. Oh, Lord, protect them in the name of Jesus. Father, so many young people are falling into these tragedies of just blowing their brains on all these, these, these substances. Father, protect them, I pray. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to come to Jesus 
and partake in the body of Christ. Learn what it is to walk in submission. To learn what it is to serve other people. To learn how to give of themselves. Father, protect them, I pray, and watch over them. The glory of Jesus, may He abound in their lives. Father, protect them. Even as the psalmist cries out, My son, listen to me. My son, learn from me. Father, may these young people learn, I pray. Protect their lives and let them learn from the Word of God. Lest their usefulness be closed. Lest the curtains close on their effectiveness. Father, protect them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.